Thanks for tuning in to Christian Medical and Dental Association's chapel. May the message be a blessing to you. morning, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm actually going to read a fairly long passage of Scripture, um, and it's over in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were walking with each other about all these things and talking about what had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish one, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village in which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They each said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them, in the breaking of bread. It's a very interesting story. I think a great one as we look towards Easter. Of course, this is the Sunday after the crucifixion and uh, the day that Jesus rose. Do you realize that some of the saddest words that you can think of all begin with D? Disappointment. Discouragement. Disillusionment. Defeat, despondency, depression, and even despair and death. And these words kind of sum up what was going on in these two disciples' hearts as Cleophas and his companion were 
trudging, I think is the right word, down the road to Emmaus, seven miles outside the city of Jerusalem. They've been through this whole weekend, and now they're heading home. And things are not good. They're downhearted. They're confused, as the whole band of disciples are. In fact, they had been followers of Christ. We realized that they had known what was going on for quite a bit of time and, and had been with the disciples after the crucifixion. And like them, they were afraid and they were bewildered over what had happened to Jesus on Good Friday. And, and they were sad. I mean, all the hopes for what they thought was going to happen. Christ coming to take over the whole country of Israel and take them back to a position of power and throw off the Romans and all the things that they might believe might have happened. Instead, he had had a, a horrible death, the worst that you can imagine and the worst that they could do at that time. Cruel, degrading, crosses were put just outside the, the main gate going into Jerusalem. You were a spectacle for everyone rowing by. They spit on them. They throw animal excrement on people as they were being crucified. And with all this, all the expectations that just less than a week before they had had as Jesus came into Jerusalem and people threw palm branches before him and yelled Hosanna and this seemed like the, what they had all been hoping for, what was finally going to happen, that he was going to lead them as a new king in the country. Instead, he lay dead in the tomb and their hopes were dashed and their dreams were gone and they were confused. Even the report of the women, uh, they didn't know what to make of it. They had gone to see the tomb and yes, it was empty. Had the body been stolen? Uh, it didn't seem to raise their spirits because they are just in the depths of despair as they walk along. Two despondent disciples walking on the road and they summed up the situation when they said we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free. That was a long walk to Emmaus. Have you ever noticed how fragile human hope is? And when hope is gone it's difficult to revive. You may have experienced this yourself. We need to note the number of people who take their own life when they go through those, all those D's we mentioned, the disappointment, discouragement, defeat. I still remember, I was probably about seven years old, and mom and dad had two wonderful young girls from Asbury that they were friends with. They were our babysitters. They came to take care of us. One of them I stayed in touch with until she passed away, spoke in her church up in Pennsylvania, Barbara Allison. We'll call the other one Jane. I knew her well, adored her as a seven-year-old, and I remember the day that mom came to tell me and my brother that she was dead. It wasn't until a couple years later I found out she'd gone and stood in front of the train in Wilmore and committed suicide. Despair, despondency, discouragement, depression, when someone you love and care for is overtaken by a serious illness, and a lot of us have been through that, and all of us will go through that, despair can set in. 
try this, try that, try all these things, and nothing seems to work. And you, you want to hope, and you're afraid to hope, because it's been so many disappointments. You can't cope with another letdown. And that's where these guys were. We had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped. Cleophas and a friend had said, and they said, we, we didn't expect this. We had high hopes for the future, but now those hopes are gone. And we're all is left with is just disappointment. That's something all of us can identify with. We've been through disappointments. Small and big. And there's more to come. And discouragement. And difficult situations. And we've talked about some of those this morning. From a car being stolen. To people getting sick. And how do we get them out of another country and back home. I remember as a senior in high school. At Hampton Bose Academy. The tradition was that there was a debate every year. And it was the juniors against the seniors. And the teachers picked two people from each class. And you were the debaters. I was picked as a junior. And the juniors always lost. And we did. My roommate was the other debater. But you always won your senior year. We were the first ones in a long time that didn't. My good friend, David Bump, like a bump in a road, he would say. He just froze up, and we lost the debate. What a disappointment. That was pretty minor. But I can remember some major defeats, and I'm sure you can as well. I remember the day that Connie Ojambo, who was from Uganda, and she was the head nurse at our hospital at Tenwick, and she came and got me and said, Fred, her husband, who worked in our industrial area, he'd been trained at Sandhurst in England and was in charge of logistics for the Ugandan army, and they fled from Idi Amin, and he was working, managing our industrial area, as we called it, where all the work stuff was done to support the hospital. Said he wasn't feeling well, he was coughing. I said, well, bring him up, I'll, I'll take a look at him, took a look at him, he didn't seem so sick, and, you know, I forget what I gave him, some cough medicine and maybe antibiotics, I can't remember, a few hours later, she came back and said, can you see him again? He's not doing well. And he was short of breath, and I listened to him, and his lungs sounded terrible. And I got him into the hospital. We got him on IVs. We really started pouring stuff to him. He went downhill. We had just built the ICU, didn't even have it open. Took him upstairs, opened the ICU that we had built. First person to ever be put on a respirator. There was an anesthesiologist there. I got every other doctor visiting doctors and missionaries in there trying to help me figure out what was going on with him. He was just going downhill so fast till finally, four hours after this started, he was dead. And Connie walks into the ICU and realized what happened and collapsed on the floor screaming. And other nurses came running and it was just the awfulest scene you could imagine. Losing a husband in Africa is often the end for a wife. No one to support them wasn't the case for Connie, but the overwhelming grief and the sense of defeat that I had not been able to save his life, somebody who I knew and loved and cared for. And I'm sure you've had some defeats as well. Maybe marriage problems. Maybe wayward children that you just want to shake and put some sense into their head, the things they're doing and where it's going to lead them. Maybe financial stresses or repercussions of something you said or did. Something that has had long-term effects on you and others. 
All of us go through these situations like these disciples. And as these two men walked along, strangers joined them. This was going to be the most significant walk of their life. They didn't realize it. God often does his best work in the midst of crisis when we're feeling the lowest and the most discouraged. And the stranger asked them, what what are you discussing? And they poured out their story, and, and he seemed willing to listen. Somebody they just met, they didn't know, but... So they began to tell him about their hopes and their disappointments, as we read in that scripture. You know, the last thing they needed was a cheer-up talk. You know, someone saying, snap out of it, you know, get over it, it's not that bad. Instead, Jesus just provides a listening ear, and listens to their story and their discouragement and their misery, and he walks with them. That's interesting, he walks with them. He didn't just listen and say, well, sorry to hear about that. Hope it gets better and take off the other direction. But he walked with them. Another thing you notice about this is a lesson to us. You can never upset God by telling him how you feel. Bearing your heart. He knows it already. He's there to listen. It's really a a great picture, a great picture of Jesus walking along the road with despondent and confused disciples, and he just listens. And then he begins to go back through the Old Testament. They didn't recognize him as he did this. They're so downcast, they may not even been looking up and looking at him as they talked and as he began to talk to them. And he told them who he really was. And he did it in an interesting way, didn't he? He he went back to the Old Testament and began to teach them from the Scripture. Jesus explained to them what he said about himself and all the Scriptures, beginning with the books of Moses and the writings of the old prophet. He told them who he was. Genesis 3.15 may have been where he started way back at the beginning, how sin came into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 3.15, it says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, prophesying that Jesus was going to come. The seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent, how the devil came to Eve. Or over in Genesis 22, the substitute sacrifice, he may have reminded them of Abraham, And the story of how God told him to sacrifice his son. And then God provided a substitute. And the Heavenly Father had to sacrifice his son as a substitute. Or over in Numbers 21, Moses lifted up a bronze serpent on a pole. I'm sure they remembered that story. But he put life into it as he said to them, When I am lifted up from the earth... What Jesus has said over in John 12, 32, I will draw all man unto myself. He was drawing the analogy between Moses lifting up the serpent on the staff and Jesus being lifted up on the cross and him predicting his crucifixion over in John 12. Or over in Isaiah 53 and 54, he told the prophets, the prophets told of a Savior who would be obedient even unto the point of death. 
No doubt he would have referred to Israel, Isaiah's description of the suffering servant of God who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities over in Isaiah 53. He just began, we don't know where he started or where he stopped, but it was a two-hour walk. This was quite a message that he shared by the time uh, they finally were getting there. It's interesting, there are over 332 distinct prophecies in the Bible regarding Christ in the Old Testament. So he had a lot of material to work with. And it wasn't as this man hadn't read their Bibles. They, they knew these stories, but they didn't know what they meant in relation to what they were experiencing. And that's what God gave to them as Jesus walked along. Two-hour walk, two walk to Emmaus probably just flew by. It didn't seem like a two-hour walk. Maybe five minutes because they were so engrossed as he spoke to them. And the despondency and the sorrow that they felt in their hearts began to change into understanding. It began to change into hope as the stranger explained Jesus' death as part of God's great plan of salvation. And when disillusionment and depression and defeat had dominated their lives, it began to ebb. And the key thing to remember and the thing that's the main point this morning is this, is Jesus walks with us. No matter what the situation, no matter how bad it is, we're God's dearly loved children, and he shows up. I think about this because, I mean, it seems after the crucifixion, Jesus would have gone to heaven for the great celebration. I mean, it is finished. Or he would have gone to the 12, the ones that are going to be the leaders of the church, those are the ones he should have gone to first, not these two guys walking down the road. We didn't even hardly know who they were. But he met them at their point of need. It just shows God's dear love for his children and that he will stand through us through the thick and thin and he shows up when we need him most and that he can turn our despair to hope. I remember my mom was dying. She had gone through many surgeries and all kinds of medical issues. And, and I remember the day she turned to me and said, Honey, I'm not going back into the hospital. It was, it was, she was just worn out. And I said, but mom, maybe we could do, you know, the old doctor and me, we could do maybe some more. Maybe we, maybe if we just did this. And she looked at me and said, honey, Jesus is my savior. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And all this suffering will be over. That's where my hope is. We've done enough. And we had Jesus takes our despair and turns it into hope. And she began speaking about heaven. Being with dad again. That's what that walk can do for us. Jesus turns our despair into hope. Into hope. So the two disciples ask the stranger, you know, they get to where they're going, it's starting to get dark, and they say, come, stay with us, have dinner, stay over for the evening. It says, he took the bread and said the blessing, and then he broke the bread and gave it to them, and suddenly it dawned on them. Suddenly it dawned on them. I think it must have been the breaking of the bread. When's the last time they had seen that? The Last Supper, 
we call communion as we do it. And all of a sudden they sensed who his presence was and Christ revealed himself to him. And it happened so quickly that they were just almost overcome. Their despondency in their hearts changed to their hearts leaping, filled with hope and renewed faith as he revealed himself. I, I can see them kind of standing there in amazement, perhaps embracing in great joy and, and asking each other, what, wasn't it like a fire burning in us when we talked to us on the road and explained the scripture to us? And then he disappeared. They experienced the grace of God. He could have just left him with the scripture, but he revealed himself graciously and he came and had met them and cleared away the fog of their confusion and turned to give them hope and they knew it was him. It was him. What an exciting moment. I, I can't imagine that. I think the closest thing, well, the thing that'll happen to us is when we die and open our eyes and see him. We'll see him. We'll see him. And everything that we've ever experienced will put in perspective and nothing will ever be the same. And then he vanished. But the good news is, It'll be great when we get to heaven, but he still wants to walk with us now. He wants to walk with us now. See, this is a symbol, this whole walk to Emmaus of the Christian life. It's the stories of our life and what we can experience and what God wants to do for us. It's a story of what we're dealing with in our country as you watch the news, around the world as you see what's happening and other countries, the war. There's all kinds of things to be discouraged, dismayed about, inflation, you name it. But God just walks up and says to us, you want to walk with me? Let's go for a walk. And I'll turn your disappointment, your doubt, your disillusionment, your defeat, your discouragement, your despondency, your depression, even your despair. You don't walk alone. I walk with you. When I was dealing with my dad dying, it was a very difficult time for me. We were in Kenya. He was in a coma in the States. He lived for two weeks after he got malaria. And it, it was just a really tough time. At work, at work, it was actually good when I went up to the hospital because I, I had my mind on other things. But when I came home in the evening, I was just almost overwhelmed. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to be there. He was my close friend as well as my dad, my encouragement, my role model. It's a difficult time. And at night, I'd go home and pull out, back in those days, cassettes and listen to hymns. That, that was where the encouragement was. And there were two that particularly ministered to me in the garden. Good Easter hymn, but I was listening to it back then. Those two verses where it says, He speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. 
And he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. And the other one was, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a wonderful hymn. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's my prayer for you this morning.